Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. The evolution of architectural practice has been relatively slow towards change. Yet modern shifts in business and design management have prompted today's leading architects to rethink how they are working. Welcome to Practice Disrupted, a podcast produced by Gable Media from the creative leaders of Practice of Architecture. I'm Evelyn Lee. And I'm Janine Chastain. And we're here to explore how technology, cultural shifts, and emerging business strategies are changing how architects are building their careers and firms. Join us as we talk with industry leaders and explore the new frontier of practice. I am so excited about this new podcast coming to Gable Media this summer. Practice Disrupted. Learn more at gablemedia.com. That's Gable, leave off the E, G-A-B-L, media.com. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each and every week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise, all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. This is episode 325, launching a modular home construction business with entrepreneur architect, Tim McCarthy. This episode of Entree Architect Podcast is supported by our platform sponsors, Gusto, easy online payroll benefits and HR built for modern small businesses like ours. FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software that makes running your small firm easy, fast, and secure. And RCAT, the online resource delivering quality building material information, CAD details, BIM specifications, and much more at RCAT.com. Tim McCarthy, welcome to Entree Architect Podcast. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, this is going to be a, a fun conversation. You are a, an active member in the community over on Facebook, entrearchitect.com slash group for anybody who wants to join us. It's a private group uh, just for architects. And Tim shares his knowledge there and he shares it elsewhere. And, um, and he's doing some really interesting things. And I wanted to bring him on the show and talk to uh, Tim about them. Before we do that, I want to introduce him for anybody who doesn't know Tim. Uh, Tim's path towards becoming a licensed architect in upstate New York has been a unique blend of hands-on construction experience, formal education, and time in apprenticeship since 1983. 
Uh, Tim believes that a true understanding of the materials and methods comes through actual construction experience, which we're going to talk about that too, because I agree with you. Uh, Tim has developed a low-cost slip form stone building system that is featured along with his own home in the May-June 2004 issue of Natural Home Magazine and in the March 1999 issue of Designer Builder Magazine. Since 2015, in an effort to make a difference in climate change and to bring high-performance building to more people, Tim started a small, modular home construction business called New Leaf Net Zero Homes. And that's what I want to talk about today. But before we get into that, uh, Tim, I want you to share your origin story. I want you to go back as far back as you want to go. Uh, what inspired you to become an architect and share that story to where you find yourself today? Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a crazy, funny little story. I, I find it funny, but uh, I grew up on a dairy farm till about 15 or 16 years old. And uh, from that point, uh, well, we'll jump ahead to, you know, 18 or so when uh, back in the 80s, you, you would often sit down with your guidance counselor for about 15 minutes and decide your future. <laughs> yeah, I remember that meeting. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I sit down with Bruce, a uh, nice, real nice guy, and he says, uh, you know, Tim, your grades aren't, aren't the greatest, but your SATs are, are not too shabby, pretty good. And he's like, well, you know, what do you like to do? And I said, I like to draw, which I did. And uh, that was that was it. So he said, well, you know, since your your grades are so bad, let's kind of direct you towards a two year uh, technical approach. And uh, I said, that sounds great. So uh, Bruce gets right on the phone and, and calls uh, a, a great little school, SUNY Delhi. Yeah the Catskills and uh, he asked about the, the mechanical drawing program and um, uh, you know it sounded good to me and uh, he calls them and, and they said it's full so he covers the mic on the phone and he's well how about uh, this architecture program and I said well that sounds excellent <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and that's that's the origin story I it's, love that you know you weren't really thinking uh, at that age. You're not really thinking of the future. You're thinking of immediate needs. But this little push in the phone call, and you know, I'm lucky. Lucky I found. Uh, as soon as I got there, you know, we're designing beams and breaking them into labs, and and that was it. I was, yeah, you were hooked. Yeah. <laughs> Hands-on architecture. So. Uh, and so what did you do? So, so did you, you graduated there and then, then what did you do after that? Well, I, uh, I, I knew I wanted to go on. I don't know why, but, uh, so I transferred, uh, I was pretty, uh, poor kid. So I, I took, I went right to the school that took all our credits from, uh, SUNY Delhi. And, uh, it was a school, old Westbury, uh, School of Art, uh, New York Institute of Technology. Yep, NYIT. Yep, out on Long Island. Yeah. Yep. And of course, we I slipped right in there, no problem. And uh, the only trouble was I was out of sequence with the design part. And so I, I I finished all the courses except for I had three years of part time uh, design to take on Long Island, which really didn't work for me so and I ended up getting a job um, for an architect uh, here in my hometown and, and and soon discovered I could get licensed that way and so I, I never really looked back it's uh, um, so yeah that's that's how that happened it took quite a while to get through the ARE uh, and you know a lot of the print you know, more apprentice time but it was like a combination yeah and then do you do so you worked with with another firm up up near your hometown how long did you did you work with him and did you work with other people before you're launching your own firm yes I, I was with uh this firm for five or six years and then uh with another uh adirondack uh style kind of firm and uh at that point, 
I had enough apprenticeship and, and started sitting for the exam. I did some building uh, in between that, though, while I was taking the exam. So, um, so you did you work with a contractor? Or no, did you do your I own was, thing? I, I did my own thing. It mm -hmm. was a small, small house. I, I actually drew it um, and, and kind of fit under that foggy little design build window that we have here. And uh, I was more of a laborer, uh, not a highly skilled carpenter, but a, a you know, a, a kind of a scrappy little car a carpenter, laborer, construction manager, designer. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, and then you, so you, you, uh, when did you launch your own firm? That was, uh, 1997, I believe when I was licensed, I, I passed my uh, ARE. And so got as, my as soon as you were licensed, you're like, okay, doing my own thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I even called the New York state, state ed department as you, I'm sure you're familiar with them. And, and I'm like, when can I, like do this and they're like right now so <laughs> i had the envelope in my hand and uh so yeah it was right then yeah so literally the next day it's it's time and and did you right from the beginning uh in, incorporate construction having that experience and loving working with your hands did you right away sort of um start with construction as part of your firm or did you do design without construction first Design without construction for a while, you know, 80-90%. And then I started doing, um, I, I got into the slip form stone construction, which is like stone construction with, without skill. And you form the stonework. And uh, we took that pretty far. I, I ended up, I, I did quite a few little uh, light commercial, uh, you know, small credit unions in the area. Mm -hmm. And uh, one was in Potsdam, New York, where we uh, we actually used the Potsdam sandstone in our slip form process. And it was so unique, I really had to kind of take the, the reins on that. And um, it's a, if, if anyone knows about it, it's a gorgeous sandstone out of Potsdam, New York. Uh, Part of the St. Lawrence, well, there used to be an ocean there, but uh, yeah. it's just a gorgeous red sandstone. So we, at that point, I started getting a little more confident uh, doing a little bit of construction and some construction management. So I've always gravitated towards that. Did you in our tough our tough climate it, it, it helps to diversify so you really start to offer a lot of value to the owner um, at that point and did you do did you offer full design build no at any time so it was um, oh well actually well no it was more then it started shifting to to more design CM mm -hmm. okay um, so manage, managing contracts and schedules and that kind of thing and yes. bringing in subs and they do the work. Yeah. Yep. Exactly like your, your system that you have. Yep. Uh, exactly. I, yep. I even, I use those documents. Um, uh, and, uh, we would, uh, construction manage, not at risk. And right. It, that's a great way to go. If, uh, depending on your, your work demand in the regular architecture, for here, it was really a way to survive, and uh, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great it's a great process. It's for anybody who wants to sort of get their wet their feet a little bit wet in construction. It's a great way to sort of get into the construction end of things, um, doing construction without the risk. Um, and uh, if you're a member of Entree Architects, those documents are in the membership. Um, I th think they're also available in the shop separately if somebody wanted to go entrearchitect.com slash store I think they can go grab that uh, it's a course with the documents um, but that's a great we did that for a long time at, at our firm and it's a great way to not only get into that end of construction and serve your clients really well 
um, it's a great way to earn a lot more money because we doubled our fee on every project we did that. We, we actually earned more on the CM process than we did on our architectural fee. And so we more than doubled our fee on the same project and just took more of the control of, of the process. And so it's a great way to get in, introduced to that. And then if you wanted to, you know, you can get licensed and, and become more at risk and get insured. And that's sort of the, the, the barrier is the insurance and the liability that comes along with that, right? Exactly. And uh, yeah, and there, there's there's a whole handful of folks on Entree Architect that have some combat experience in that. Yeah. Um, there are a few things if you really want to do it right, you, you make sure all that work is divided and you're not doing any of it. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. That, that, that the roles and responsibilities are fully uh, assigned and you're just making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. And then yep. you and manage, manage good, contracts. It's a great way to get your CA in. Yeah. Like here in the start in our starvation economy here, no one would purchase the CA. They just won't. So you're basically having some, you're, you're getting more control on your design so the contractor doesn't go off on a tangent. Um, and you're doing that as, you know, my CA and my CM kind of hybridized. I don't know yep. if that's quite proper, but that's what happened. Yeah, well, I think that's, that's pretty much what we happened. I mean, much of, we still ran CA as architects when we were doing it. Um, so we basically did our full service as architects from schematic design through construction administration and then did construction management on top of that separate. And really our role at, in CA was reduced because a lot, it was, you know, we didn't want to duplicate what we were doing, but we were still reviewing as architects, lots of yes. the submissions and all the things that we're supposed to do in construction administration, still doing on the architecture side and then all the management and and construction part was done by uh, the CM side. And often it was two different people doing it in the firm, and sometimes it was the same person, just with two different hats on, depending on, yep. on when, you know, the size of the project and, and how we had it structured. But it's a great, it's a great way to go. Um, it's a great way also to get more involved in construction, which is a great educational part of do, what we do. Uh, you learn a lot about how buildings go together when you're responsible for them to go together. Um, and in the intro, you also um, mentioned that you have a philosophy that architects should have, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but architects should have some hands-on experience. You want to talk about that a little bit and how you feel about that? Yeah, that is a pretty old uh, piece of th that I sent you, um, but I still believe that. But I, I really don't think the ha actual hands-on is absolutely, I mean, it's great if you can do it, but I think the CM can get you that mm, yeah. too. And uh, just and, more involvement in the construction side. Yeah. And I mean, the actually holding a hammer and, and, and that is, is, is amazing if you can do it, but it's, uh, you shouldn't feel bad if you can't, um, you know, I guess it's. Yeah, well, I, th I think there's, there's tremendous advantage to you as an architect to have that experience at so many levels. For one, you learn about building and you learn about construction and how buildings go together, which makes you a better architect. When you're designing and detailing, if you actually have put those assemblies together, you can design them better, you can detail them better. Um, but you also, what I love about it, is you get to experience what it's like from the other side of the table. That you you are now working with contractors and, and for contractors and you hear what they're saying about the project and you hear about what they feel about architects and why they feel that way about architects, which is probably the most valuable thing that came to me when I was working in construction, um, yeah. is that I, I heard why contractors don't like architects, right? And so when right. I became an architect, I, I, didn't, I wasn't like that. I was sensitive to that. I understood that that's how they felt. And so I could adjust the way I related with contractors and always had a really good relationship with them because of that. So super, super important to, uh, to sort of have that experience. Uh, whether you're swinging a hammer or whether you're just in the field more often, uh, I agree with you. I think uh, having more experience on how buildings go together uh, yeah. is only a good thing for architects. Um, so when did the, your modular home, so now you have a modular home business um, and it's called, uh, let me just look it up, New Leaf Home. 
Uh, right? It's what is it actually? There's a full name. What's the full name, Tim? Uh, well, it, it's actually fluctuating a little. It's trying to find its center. Uh, okay. But uh, New Leaf uh, NZM, not Net Zero Modular, is is what we're using the most. Okay. So New Leaf Net Zero Modular. So New Leaf NZM. Um, and so when did you? What inspired? First of all, let's start at the beginning. Where did this idea come from? Where did it evolve from to, to do modular and to, and to focus on net zero? Well, uh, here in the, the, in the North Country, we're always looking for ways to reduce the cost of building homes for me, but like commercial. And uh, I had a client where we're like, okay, they, let's go with a modular firm and, and we'll go with my design. So I, I really studied how the modulars are put together so I could speak that language. And we went to a, a firm and it wasn't working at all. They, even though they say they'll do custom, um, you know, we, we, I would get on the phone with the architect that, that, you know, he was there one day every two weeks and, uh, and I'd hear what he was telling my clients. Cause we did a, a you know, a three-way call. Yeah. And I knew he's feeding them a line of, uh, you know, saying we can't do this, can't do that. And uh, finally I said to the owner, would you consider letting me build this in a modular fashion? And uh, they, they accepted. And uh, that's, that's sort of how it came about because I, I knew, you know, we weren't really getting uh, good information. I think they could have done more. Yeah, I think a lot, um, a lot of modular construction companies that are led by contractors or not contractors, but builders, home builders, and they, you know, evolve and they launch this, you know, modular home company. Um, you know, they say they do custom, but really the custom is: Do you want, you know? modern trim or do you want classical trim? Do you want it to be green or you want it to be blue? And that's, you know, which custom fixtures do you want? You know, it's not a custom design. It's a design of, you know, you pick the design that you, that they have to offer you and, uh, and that's what you get. Um, and, <laughs> and maybe they'll build something that you've designed, but then they, they try to modify it in order to fit within their processes so they can deliver it the way they're, you know, they're set up to deliver modular, Home companies are all based on systems, right? It's all, that's a whole point is that there's a whole process that they go through in order to execute on this construction very quickly in a very, um, you know, uh, consistent manner. And so it's sort of incompatible with custom construction uh, for them. And so when when you experienced that with your client and you offered to do uh, do it for them, what was your thought? I mean, was it was it that I can provide that niche of custom modular construction? That, yeah, that, that's kind of been the, the, the plan as it's coming along. I'm, I, I was thinking, well, I can, uh, these modular home firms often go through, almost always go through a dealership. So I said, I, I can take that 10 or maybe even 20%, I don't know the figure, and I can put that back into the building and make it net zero. Because that that would get us net zero, and that differentiates so, you again from the, the standard modular construction company. Yes, and and then along that the lines you were saying, uh, being an architect, I can make plans really fast, and changing it is not a problem. Uh, we we thrive we thrive on that, and uh, and I see that as a competitive advantage too. Yeah. Uh, and, and the old thinking of, you know, staying with your, your assembly line thinking, I, I think that needs to be challenged. Um, and I, you know, I'm, I, I think we can build quite a, quite a, an array of, and we can change them like crazy. Mm-hmm. As long as that gets to the, to the people building it, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, well, I'm going off uh, target here, but that's uh, okay. So, some of the architects doing the, uh, modulars, uh, they typically will go to a modular company. I know Brightbilt is doing it that way. And they, they have 
a modular firm or two that actually, uh, so they become a, uh, a portal mm-hmm. where we, we've actually, you know, I tried that, that, that didn't work. No one was interested. And, uh, so we decided to fabricate it and then, you know, as one entity, well, there's another chunk of cost that we can, hopefully that cost goes back to us. Right. But it's all theory at this point. Uh, Week after week, episode after episode, you hear me talk about some great companies who provide outstanding products and services to help us small firm architects build better businesses. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT have been dedicated supporters of the Entree Architect community and this podcast for years. Every episode, I ask you to check them out and thank them for supporting us. Because with their support, we've been able to grow this podcast. And in turn, we've been able to grow the Entree Architect platform, serving the global community of small firm architects like you. So today, I want to stop and thank you, the Entree Architect community, for supporting them, our loyal platform sponsors. And I want to ask you to make an extra effort this week to connect with each sponsor, Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. Using the links that I'll share in a minute, you can find their contact forms and thank them. I mean, like literally thank them because as the economy shifts and slows, marketing budgets are shrinking. Companies are going to need to choose where they spend their marketing dollars. And we want them to spend them here with us supporting the Entree Architect community. So let me take a little bit of time here and share a little bit of information for each sponsor and the link for for where you can connect and then pause this episode right now and connect with each sponsor. Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. Small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal, it's modern, and let's face it, we all need some help with our payroll and taxes. Gusto is making it easy so we can focus on being architects. So give Gusto a try for free for three months. The link to give Gusto a try is entrearchitect.com slash Gusto. That's the link to connect and say thank you for supporting Entree Architect. Visit entrearchitect.com slash Gusto today. FreshBooks wants you to know that you're not alone. FreshBooks has been supporting small businesses and solopreneurs, and specifically, they've been supporting us here at Entree Architect Podcast for years. They know what it's like, how lonely it may be working from home. They know what it's like when times get tough. And they know that right now, as we all face this crisis together as a global community, we all need to do our part. So FreshBooks is responding and offering an unprecedented offer. Now, when you join FreshBooks, the cloud-based accounting software, you will receive 60% off for six months. 60% off for six months. Just visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks, entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks, and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Don't forget to do that. That's 60% off their regular price for six months. So visit entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks, sign up for that 60% off, then go find their contact form and thank FreshBooks for being such a longtime loyal supporter of Entree Architect. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. As you and your team are working from home, are the logistics of putting together a project daunting when no one is in the same room? RCAT has a solution for you and it's free. RCAT's Charette allows you to manage projects and specification documents online with multiple team members. Discuss products, configurations, outline specs, project photos, documents, and so much more all on one page, along with the ability to access product information, specifications, CAD, BIM, and the patented spec wizard from anywhere in the world. Charette can help your firm get more done, no matter where in the world you might be. You can even promote your firm's project when you're done. 
And like all of our cat solutions, it's completely free to use. So check it out right now at entrearchitect.com slash rcat. That's entrearchitect.com slash rcat. A-R-C-A-T. entrearchitect.com slash rcat. And don't forget to thank rcat for the years and years of their support for the Entree Architect community. So thank you, the Entree Architect community, for supporting them, our loyal platform sponsors, Gusto, FreshBooks, and RCAT. So what did it what did it take? Because you've started with with a few buildings, right? I mean you, you it's a relatively new company, right? Yes. And you've and you have built some modular buildings and you've executed on that. And so explain what where are you in the business and what you've learned up to this point and where you sort of plan to go. Uh, well, we, we recently shipped an extremely complex uh, modular that we're, we're wrapping it up now. It's a four box modular with a fifth room, a, a great room, we call it here in the Adirondacks, uh, that was uh, panelized. So it's you know a very aggressive step and too aggressive. So we've had uh, some issues there. The the panelized part was too aggressive. Um, or the actually, design of the whole building was too aggressive. The whole building. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's uh, we had quite a few issues that were uh, that I'm taking care of myself and and we're getting it done. So the building design was four boxes, so that it was designed so it could be shipped within four individual boxes, individual units. And then the fifth one came as panelized. Yes. That had to be assembled on site. Yeah. So it was, so was pre-manufactured off-site, but then still had to be assembled. Yes. Yep. So uh, tip, uh, a lot ahead. like what e is it EcoCore and uh, uh, Benson, Benson Wood, mm -hmm. it was similar to that. Right, and so you combined those two systems, and so so what you, you you referenced that that it was aggressive, and and you're dealing with some of the the fixes on that. So can you explain what some of those challenges were in that uh, in that project? Well, this one was actually, you know, an extreme uh, location was the first thing, and. Uh, that raised the difficulty level more than I, I thought. In the so that was a it was a mountain. Was it a mountain location? Uh, yeah, deep in the in the woods, a long eight mile gravel road. Right. So it's, if it's a modular construction and it's a box construction, you're bringing in tractor trailers <laughs> with with houses on the back of them. So you have to get through the woods and up the mountains and over the river and through through Grandma's house. Pretty much, and and we made it through that. You know. Every, Everyone's everyone's good, but the, the trees were puncturing our. Uh, we have a a pretty a pretty elaborate uh, protection system for the first story units, so they don't get wet on the internals. Um, yeah. it, it's a multi-layer protection system, and uh, that we learned from the first modular modular. And of course, the trees uh, were poking holes in that. We had a near hurricane right then too. So it was, that was, that was pretty tricky. But, uh, the, one of the biggest problems was the crane, uh, setting, uh, the crane operator basically pulled, he used too much withdrawal strength to pull the cables out. Um, and he dislodged a, a mod, one of the mods on the second floor. Um, because he just gave it more pressure and, and pulled pulled the cables out, which dislodged the yeah. And then at that point, we couldn't reconnect. So you so, had to reconstruct that part of the building in order for you to lift it. Uh, well, we had to. I actually hired a rigger. Uh, a, you know, the stars aligned. I'm a very lucky man. I found this this extremely talented uh, rigger who. who specializes in moving big things. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I became very good friends with him since and he's advising on our next set. Yeah. So um he came in and he uh did his rigging thing and, and turned it and corrected the the alignment. So uh 
hard lessons, but um, I learned quite a bit about rigging and, and, and the setting process, how to improve it. Were there any other challenges that you faced while you were putting this project together that you learned? Boy, there were, there, there's quite a few um, on this one. We're, we're actually on our next one, we are backing out the, we're actually backing out the interior finishes and we're shipping a insulated um, windows and exterior doors are in, but no exterior finishes and no interior finishes. So you do that on site? Do that on site. And here's the thing that the problem with these comp complex modulars is the tradespeople, uh, the, the trade people on site when they come to sew it up, um, you know, they, they, they don't get along well with the work that was presented to them. Yeah. As you can imagine, you're, you're basically working with two teams. So yeah, that's a problem area. And, uh, but um, as you, as you grow, you might be able to bring that in house, right. And, and train your, your outside guys to have the same level of quality of your inside guys. It, it's yeah, possibly. Um, the the distances we're going though uh, seems to separate the the site people are I think always going to be different because they have to be unless local. Got, yeah, unless we got big enough like Bensonwood where they ship a crew, you mm -hmm. you pay for them dearly I think, but I probably shouldn't say that here. But <laughs> the uh, uh, and you know as you should they're, they're but they come to the site and they so that would be one path that we could do. And I know on this one we we're we're using the uh, Bensonwood uh, service cavity on the inside of the walls. So we, the, the electricians and, and the plumbers love it because they can run their, their, the building can be insulated and they can do their work. And we've got a lot of chases vertically to connect those, those, uh, that uh, service cavity on the exterior wall. And, uh, of course, the service cavity keeps the outlets from puncturing the, the vapor control layer. So it's it's there for another reason. But now we can ship this box to be completely wired on site. And, uh, you know, at first we're thinking, well, you know, why even do that? Um, you know, it's not a finished modular. You're thinking because you're used to the industry practice of a finished almost finished house. Right. But in reality, we're on this one, we, we're planning on uh, having it weather tight in a day. So um, because we're the exterior WRB, the weather resistant barrier will be in place um, that afternoon or, you know, worst case, it may take a little longer, but uh, you basically have an insulated house with windows uh, and your trades can move in. Does so that's still quite a value. It's, it's a few days ahead of a panelized system. And you're saying you're making these net zero as well, or, or are, are they, are they net zero or is that the goal that they're net zero? Well, uh, it, it really is more the goal we're, we're, we're hitting all the net zero, even exceeding the net zero performance specs, but we're not, uh, we, we don't have a certification on one yet. Yeah. Um, does that make, I, does that make the process more complicated to make it net zero or is it just a matter of how you're building them? It doesn't really make a difference. It's more complicated, but, um, I've made that not an option. We're not going to build, uh, yeah, that's your brand. That's what yeah. if you, if you want to work with, with new leaf, they're net zero buildings. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the the trickiest part is is the, the the weather barriers. We used a lot of uh, pretty high tech smart barriers on the one we just delivered, and they really got beat up in the, in the process of of shipping and setting. So on this next one with the design, we, we've moved. We've done. I've become a bit more sophisticated in our design of those systems with a lot of help from a lot of people. Uh, Michael Maines and, and, uh, and my uh, 
energy consultant too, Matt, Matt Bowers, but we're, we've, uh, we're protecting those barriers more and we're using less of the really expensive fabrics. Yeah. Um, so, so Tim, if, uh, somebody who's listening, they've, they have this plan, this idea that they want to start uh, a modular home construction company, just like you did. Um, but they haven't, they haven't started the plan yet. They haven't, they haven't executed, right? They have this idea. I'm going to, I want to do this. Um, what would some of the tips that you would give them, what should they be watching out for uh, if the, as they start planning this new company? Um, boy, that, that's a good question. Uh, if you could do it all over again, how, how would you start? I think I would have, I would have started as a younger man, not married, you know, <laughs> a little more, uh, not, uh, it, it's risky. So, uh, your exposure is high. So you have to know that and fin- uh, financially and liability wise. Yeah. 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 Uh, even though I handled these through a CM process, um, so I'm shielding myself a bit from, from some of the risks, um, you know, it's risky, but I, I think I'm trying to think, uh, it would take a lot of research. Um, you may, you know, you may want to take the bright built approach to see if you can find a factory that can, can do them. Um, so that approach would be, you would design the modular home and then you would hire, uh, a, an existing manufacturer to, to construct it for you. Yeah. And, you know, cre- create a, uh, a partnership maybe if you can convince them, you know, to start a net zero line. Right. Uh, or uh, I suppose that you don't have to be net zero, but, but you do. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, uh, so that I, I would think that would be the first way you should do it. And then maybe, uh, you know, maybe later you could start building your own. I think that would be safer. Um, but it, it, if you were going to attempt it on your own, I, w- I would get a, a build partner on board. Um, we've gone through several because we're, we're basically, they're subs now. And right. uh, we don't really have the finances to hire all these people. And now I'm on my third uh, I'll, I'll call him a, the erector of the module. And we've really found our center with this guy. Uh, Great. Very happy. Uh, yeah. And that's, that, that's typical in business, right? Is that you, you start a business with a plan and then you execute and you adjust, right? You, you, uh, aim, fire, adjust, right? Exactly. And then and as long as you're, uh, as long as you're, uh, if your mission is pretty clear in your heart, you know, it'll pull you through the problems, but, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty tricky. It's also, you know, another reason we started was to, to get business. Um, because now I'm shipping to, to areas where people can afford these homes where, where I live, they, they simply can't. Um, so I'm actually, div- you know, diversifying my practice, but yeah. how are I'm you, how are clients. you, how are you marketing your company to, to attract those clients? Right now, uh, it's very limited because we're, we're so, so much time has gone into the, the product itself, into the design of the assemblies. And so I'm just you doing, uh, the, the Facebook, um, you know, ten dollars at a time. Uh, yeah. But, so, so uh, you're promoting the company through Facebook and and boosting those those posts. Yes. To get yeah. to get get in front of the people who are interested in what you do. Yes. Yeah. And the you know I think we're you know we're still plugging here. We in the future we may we'll, we'll get bigger than that. But uh, yeah. Right now, as we're developing the product, it's kind of, I guess we call it soft peddling. And, mm-hmm. um, right. You so, need enough clients to do the, to do the work, but you don't want so many that you're, you're, 
you know, overwhelmed with work and, and not being able to develop the systems and develop the process of getting things done at a very high level. Exactly. Exactly. And, and, uh, and all my mind time goes into the product. So I really don't even have that much time to, to, uh, to get out there beyond that simple Facebook. Right. Right. Well, it seems like it's, it's working at the level that you need it to. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, yeah, we, I did a few talks on, on the system and, uh, you know, that started, that yielded some, some work. So, um, the next project we're doing, we hope to start in a week or so, uh, you know, I'll post that on Entree Architect quite a bit. It's, it's uh, greatly streamlined. Yeah. So what's the, what's the future of New Leaf? What is, what, where do you want to take it? How big do you want to make it? And, and what's the plan? We're actually, I'm, I'm working on a master plan now, you know, a business plan now, yeah. uh, now that we've kind of probed around a little bit, we have some context. Um, so we're working on that now. I, I am actually talking with a regional investor group uh, in April who, who are very, we've talked a lot and they're really excited about, about this, uh, the local area could use jobs and, and, and these things. But uh, one of the original driving points to this was, uh, I, I used to make maple syrup, uh, here in the, in with our abundant maple trees. And, and, uh, I've seen forecasts of the maple decline as the, it gets warmer here in the upstate area. And in, I think it's 30 to 50 years, the, the, you know, we're, we're not going to have any maples. So, uh, this is according to Cornell, uh, the people that do this kind of work. So in a very, you know, indirect way, we were hoping to save maple trees. Uh, yeah. I know that sounds kind of lofty, but, um, that's the, that's one of the drivers. So, um, we hope yeah, to the, the, in order to get to where you want to go, however you want to go and wherever you want to go, understanding your purpose is super important. And, and that's part of who you are and where you've come from. And, and so to, to take what you're good at and what you do on a daily basis and apply that to being able to affect change in the things that matter to you is exactly what we should all be doing. Right. That's that 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 vision and that mission that I talk about. That's a perfect example of that, that that when you leave this earth, the work that you've put into what you do has positively impacted the world, whether it's a small way or it grows into a very big way. And your inspiration when you talk about that um, inspires others. And so there's this domino effect as well, that if enough of us start looking at big, giant ideas like that, and applying what we do at the level that we can do it, that that escalates because somebody else says, "Oh, look at what Tim's doing," and I could do that over here, and and so I love that, um, and that also explains your logo. Your logo is a maple leaf. Yes, and that 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 happened, you know, because we were making maple syrup, and I, I had to stop basically because mid-season we'd have 80 degree days, and and everything went sour for. For a small operator, it's not very easy. Yeah, it goes so, better. Yeah, that's uh, <laughs> the logo is uh, is staying with us. Yeah, well, I love that. I I hope that you uh, that you achieve that success. Uh, first of all, I love maple syrup, <laughs> 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 but it, on a much larger global sense, I hope that you uh, succeed. And I hope you inspire uh, hundreds and thousands of other people to do the same thing at, at the level that they can do it. So um, I appreciate you for coming here and talking about your your mission uh, and your business and how you've done, done it. Uh, before we wrap up here, Tim, I want to ask you the one question that I ask everybody. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? I would say... Um the biggest thing, uh, this, 
and this is really from me, uh, hold out on, on accepting those low fee projects when you're starting out. Don't take them. Uh, or if you do have to, you really have to have a clear line of when you're going to jump up because uh, you take on so many small low fee jobs and then you're on the treadmill and those jobs often have the same overhead costs um, as a higher fee. And uh, then you're sort of on the treadmill servicing your, your clients at this level. So you really kind of have to hold out uh, or move. In my case, you probably have to move to a, a location with clients that have that uh, understanding of the value and what they have to pay. To, to, um, that, that would probably be the number one thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I, uh, I often say get paid what you're worth and no less than what you need. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, kind it's, of a Rolling Stones. Uh, yeah. So many of us, when we first start, we, we work for free to make the contact or we work at a very low fee and that hurts. It hurts your growth. It hurts getting started. It hurts the profession because that, that ripples through the profession. Um, and so hundred percent agree with you, Tim. And, uh, that's a great reminder, uh, to get, to get paid what you're worth and no, no less than what you need. Um, Tim, thank you very much for joining us. His name is Tim McCarthy. You can follow him at his website, newleafhome.org. And you could, uh, see the evolution of new leaf there. Um, Tim, thank you. Thank you for, uh, for all you do in the profession. Thank you for what you do at the, at the Facebook group. Your contributions there are very valuable, and I appreciate you for doing that. Um, and I appreciate you for um, committing to a purpose and executing on that purpose. So thank you. Thank you very much. And thank you for joining us here today at Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you, Mark, for everything. This has been episode 325. If you would like to access the show notes or share a link with a friend, that link is entrearchitect.com slash episode 325. You know, during good times, a strong financially healthy firm will allow us to connect with our best clients and pursue our best work. It will allow us to be the architects that we are truly meant to be. But during times like these, times of uncertainty, when the future is unclear, and the economy is slowing, our solid financial foundation, it's critical. Establishing a fully functioning, proven financial management system at your firm and your full understanding of that system and how it works needs to be your top priority right now. In order for your architecture firm to survive the coming months, there are five requirements that you must have locked in at your firm right now. You must have control over your cash flow. You must have a plan for how your firm will be profitable in the next 12 or 24 months. You must have the ability to easily track your progress on a monthly basis. You must have the ability to evaluate the financial health of your business at any time. And most of all, you must have the ability to make timely adjustments and make decisions based on real data. Making real-time adjustments based on real-time data is how you will survive the coming recession. In fact, if you have all these requirements in place, you may be surprised at how well your firm performs. You may even find your firm thriving while other firms without a proper financial management system will be struggling to survive. In order to assist the Entree Architect community, and all the architects around the world, we here at Entree Architect have decided to open up enrollment for all our P2P profit training programs. The P2P profit course is a step-by-step self-guided video training program that will help you build a proven financial management system for your architecture firm. You will receive unlimited access to all the resources and training that you need to fully understand and execute the P2P financial management system at your architecture firm. If you are a busy architect business owner, the Entree Architect P2P Profit Course is a great way for you to quickly and affordably access the critical financial management training that you need to prepare for your firm's financial future. 
And we have also decided to open enrollment for a second 2020 class at the Entree Architect P2P Profit Workshop. The Entree Architect P2P Profit Workshop is a five-week live training program starting June 9th, 2020, where Steve Wintner, the creator of the P2P Financial Management System, and I will teach you the complete financial management system through a series of weekly Zoom meetings. We will walk you through the entire system step-by-step. Step. We'll provide you with all the resources that you need. We'll assign homework. We'll review your progress and we'll provide guidance in a separate Zoom coaching call. And we'll support you and your fellow classmates in a private Slack group. When you complete the five-week Entree Architect P2P Profit Workshop, you will possess all the resources, knowledge, and understanding that you need to successfully navigate any economic storm. There is a way for you to survive the coming recession, but it will take preparation, planning, and profit. So let's get to work. Enrollment will close on Friday, June 5th. So to learn more about both the Entree Architect P2P Profit course and the Entree Architect P2P Profit Workshop, visit entrearchitect.com slash profit course. There's information for both the self-guided video course and the five-week P2P Profit Workshop where Steve and I will help you execute and understand the entire P2P financial management system for architects right there. So visit entrearchitect.com slash profit course to learn more and enroll today. Let's do this. Let's do this together. Love, learn, share what you know. Thanks for listening and have a great week, my friends. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this. I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. 
And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.